Welcome, welcome, curious souls, to the Macabre Emporium, your sanctuary for the unusual, the mysterious, and the appalling. Step through our cryptic doorway into a world where secrets whisper and enigmas come to life. I'm David. And I'm Sarah. Together, we're your custodians of the macabre, guiding you through tales that defy the ordinary. Discover the untold stories, from lesser-known cases of true crime to the bizarre events that captivate us. Join us on a journey to the shadows where the mainstream fades and the extraordinary beckons. So whether you seek the bizarre, the eerie, or the chillingly obscure, you're in for a treat here at Macabre Emporium. Welcome back to Macabre Emporium. This is episode 53. And if you're some kind of wackadoodle or just curious because you stumbled upon us in some weird way, welcome. Welcome. Don't have anything to really uh, talk about. Yep. We're just well, working and sleeping and surviving and all that good stuff. <laughs> all so the things. that's why I, you remember, that's kind of why I started uh, this on this day because it's colder shit outside, you know, right now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going a whole lot of fucking places. Yep. But so on this week of on this day of February 7th, novelist Charles Dickens is born in Landsport, Portsmouth, in the United Kingdom in the year 1812. He is best known for Oliver Twist, A Christmas Carol, Nicholas Nickleby, David Copperfield, and A Tale of Two Cities, and Great Expectations. Also the Dickskin Festival in my town. <laughs> yes. Cannot forget about the Dickskin Festival in Holly, Michigan. <laughs> The British rock band The Who would record their hit song Pinball Wizard in 1969, which the song lyrics would be used for the movie Tommy in 1975, but also in this day as an honorable mention, this is also the same day the Beatles landed in New York City, where they, oh, would, perform, good Lord. Where they would also perform on the Ed Sullivan Show two days later. Walt Disney's second full-length featured movie, Pinocchio, debuts in theaters in 1940. The first untethered spacewalk was performed by astronaut Will Howard Wallowitz for the first time in 1984. Just kidding, I figured you'd fucking catch that. <laughs> of it's actually, Bruce Candless is the actual first astronaut to perform the first tethered spacewalk in history. Which had to have been fucking terrifying, because if this pack would have screwed up, there is no saving yeah. you. If the, the robotic arm that they use no, actually can't you. get a hold of you. But I'm sure they thought about all that here on Earth first before they even got him up there to do it. I mean, one would hope. I'm sure he is the one. <laughs> right. And he's probably the one that made sure that thing worked and it worked yeah. and it worked and it worked. Yeah. And probably one of the most positive deaths in history in 1979, Joseph Mengele, a, concentra- a concentration camp doctor known as the Angel of Death, drowns from having a stroke while swimming. Oh, no. Oh, I know. Couldn't happen to a nicer guy, I guess. <laughs> nope. <laughs> so what do you have for this this week sarah i have true crime of course yeah yeah i had found this story and i had never heard of it before but i read a little bit about it and then i was <laughs> like oh yeah we're we're shaming this fucker all right yeah what do you got i, I did a short on this day about it and then it perked my curiosity so i decided to look more into it and then i was like yeah i'm following up with this up as a full episode this, this week. gonna be a whole ass episode yep and it's gonna probably invoke emotions like it did two weeks ago when i did the delousing in south texas yay looking forward to that right. the but, sarcasm <laughs> but i also did look up for a fun fact this week more so i guess just so we're all aware on the origins of how black history month came to be in the month huh. of february because i never really knew and I'm sure you probably really didn't know either how no. it came around on this month. So, 
I did what I did best and I looked it up for everybody. Since I looked into this, Black History Month was created by Carter G. Woodson, who was the son of two freed black slaves from the state of Virginia. It was originally started as Negro History Week in February, as President Lincoln and Frederick Douglass's birthdays are February 12th and February 14th. And just by chance, or maybe he noticed this, that the 13th would be right in the middle because the 13th Amendment is the amendment to the Constitution that abolished slavery. Yeah. Abolished slavery. And this first Negro History Week was announced in 1926 and would later become Black History Month in 1976. So with all my little fun facts, I guess you could say, out of the way. Yeah. So are you ready to get started then? I am. Are you ready for me to start? Yep. Okay. Of course I am. I wouldn't ask that if I wasn't. Fair enough. Are you mocking me? No, I'm not. (laughs) All right. So, Mark Allen Redwine was born on August 24th, 1961. He was living in La Plata County in Colorado in 2012 and had been through two very bitter divorces by this time and was currently in a custody battle with his latest ex-wife, Elaine Hall, over their 13-year-old son, Dylan. Have you heard the story? No, I have not. Okay, good. This has been a pretty devastating custody battle, and it's severely impacted 13-year-old Dylan and his older brother, Corey. Both of the boys wanted to live at home with their mom, and in fact, neither of them wanted anything at all to do with their dad. The family perspective was very strained, especially when it came to the relationship between the brothers and their dad. During a visit in 2011, the boys waited for their dad to go to bed, and then they got on his laptop. While they were on the laptop, they found some pretty disgraceful selfies that Daryl Dad had taken. Oh my. But instead of continuing to look, they waited for their dad to, like, actually fall asleep, and then they snuck the laptop into their room. Then they continued to search some more. And they found, like, even worse selfies from their dad. So they found pictures of their dad, Mark, wearing a wig, which isn't a big thing. I mean, he could have been drunk and, like, you know. Yeah, because we've all done something stupid like that where, you know, I've been shit-faced. Yeah. Or not shit-faced, but. Right. It's whatever. Like, a wig isn't horrible, right? Right. Unfortunately, that's not the only picture they found. They also found pictures of him in that wig with a red bra on and a diaper. Others who was wearing the wig, the red bra, and a turquoise tank top. But that surely couldn't be the worst of it, right? No, I'm sure it is going to get worse, or you wouldn't (laughs) have picked this. Right. They also found pictures of him in all of the above with uh, a diaper full of shit on. So he was shitting in the diapers. And he didn't need to use diapers. This is just apparently what he liked to do for fun. Right, so it sounds like he's part cross-dressing and cross-dressing and infantilism. Kind, kind. But I'm sure that's not where this is going. No. Because <clears throat> nowadays, if you see you do that, you can sell that shit for five ninety nine a month on OnlyFans. <laughs> five ninety nine. But anyway. Yeah. So they found pictures of him licking the shit out of his diaper, his own shit out okay. of his diaper. They also found pictures of him face down eating the shit out of his diaper. There were also pictures of him with his own shit smeared around his mouth after he had gone face deep into that diaper. What the fuck is going on here? <laughs> the pictures of him in the tank top, the turquoise tank top I talked about, mm-hmm. there were ones with him in that, but he was, he had like floral ladies underwear shoved in his mouth. 
that were also coated in shit. Yeah, just just shoved in there and hanging out of his oh, mouth. Fish would have been a huge fan of this guy so far. Let's <laughs> do. Yeah. Anyways, both boys were absolutely disgusted. Clearly, who the fuck wouldn't be? But with the strained relationship, Corey decided to snap pictures with his phone. Mm-hmm. So he took pictures of every single of those nasty pictures that was on that laptop. And why would he do that? Blackmail. Absolutely. He did it for blackmail. Corey wound up getting into an argument with his dad and sent him a text that read, Hey, beautiful, you are what you eat. Look in the mirror. <laughs> Clearly letting his dad know that he knew about those selfies that he had left on his laptop. The arguing continued, but Dylan didn't know anything about that part until after the both, both of the boys had returned home to their mom. But it gave young Dylan an idea. Around Thanksgiving of 2012, there was a standing court-ordered visitation for Dylan to be at Mark's house. Dylan thought about it and made a plan of action since he was forced to go see his dad. Dylan sent a text to his brother, Corey, that said, Hey, send me those poop pics of Papa because he gave me a speech about you guys being a bad example and I want to show him who really is. <laughs> right. And this story, before you even go farther on, this sounds like some shit I would have found. I'd be like, you're not going to believe this shit. <laughs> no pun intended with that, but anyway. Yeah. On November 18th, 2012... Elaine had no choice but to make Dylan pack up and prepare for a flight to see his dad. She had no choice because she would face prosecution for withholding their child during a court-ordered visitation. So she took Dylan to the airport and sent him off to his dad. Dylan protested the whole way and even, like, told relatives about it when he found out, like, he he did not want to go. Yeah. But again, Elaine didn't have a choice. Which there was a reason why he didn't want to go other than just... You know, uh, then just being defiant. It's like, this guy's a kid's a teenager, correct? Yeah, 13. Yeah, so it's more than just teenage angst of not wanting to go. Right, they just didn't have a strong relationship. Right, but I don't know. But it's, then you found, him and his brother found all those pictures, and that would kind of make you look at your dad a little different. Right, but I'm also from, you know, other stories we've done. This sounds almost already more like he's not wanting to go for other specific reasons. It doesn't. Never really found anything out. She said goodbye to Dylan, put him on a plane, and he was off. When Dylan landed at the Durango La Plata County Airport, Mark was there to pick him up. And looking back at surveillance um, footage, it showed that there was absolutely zero, like, personal contact between the two of them the entire time in that airport. Just nothing. On the way to Mark's house, Dylan told him that he was going to stay with a friend, and Mark got pissed. Dylan decided to use this moment and the anger between him and his dad to confront Mark about everything that he and Corey had found on the laptop. He then sent a text to the friend he had made plans with and let him know that he would be there around 6.30 the next morning. 6.45 rolled around and the friend texted Dylan to see if he was still coming, but his friend never got a reply. Mark said that he had left Dylan at home on the morning of November 19th, 2012, while he had errands to run. He said he had come home afterwards, and when he walked in, nothing seemed off. Nickelodeon was playing on the TV in the living room. Uh, there was a bowl of counter that had been used on the... Huh? <laughs> there was a bowl on the counter that had been used for cereal. However, he checked the house uh, for Dylan, and he was nowhere to be found. There was no sign of a break-in. There was nothing out of place. Mark was worried that Dylan had been abducted, or worse was still mad at his dad and had, like, run away. And living in Colorado, they lived by 
mountains. Yeah. And there's a lot of forest area around him. So he was worried that he might have run off being pissed and wound up in the woods and, you know, could have gotten attacked by a bear or whatever. Right. Mark did the next best thing he could think of, and he called the police to report his son missing. And due to the proximity of Mark's house to the mountains, police started a massive search for miles around the home. Community members aided in the search, as well as cons- conservation officers and other various types of law enforcement. Elaine was informed that Dylan was missing, and she set out on the six-hour drive to La Plata to help in the search for her son. While en route, she was in deep thought and sent Mark a surprising text. It said, He wouldn't just leave. He would have called me. I'm so specked of you right now. How could he just disappear? When Elaine got there, she immediately joined the search for Dylan along with all of the other people. Torches and flashlights lit the way for Elaine, the community members, and the law enforcement that were all putting themselves in danger while searching for Dylan in the dark wilderness. But Mark's house was a different story. He was at home by himself, went to bed at 11 o'clock. Just everybody else is out searching. It's dark at his house. Yeah, because that's not fucking suspicious as we've learned in the past on here. Right. Clearly this didn't look good for him. The whole community is out looking for Dylan. Even his ex-wife, who drove six hours... Right. Is out looking. And they were searching right by his house and he couldn't be bothered to help. Right. It's like even when one of your family members came up missing to be found later, yeah. when we dropped everything we were doing and started packing shit up to yep. get up there. Things would continue looking worse for Mark, especially after he started appearing in the media to talk about his missing son. His previous ex-wife, not Elaine, came forward to shed some light on Mark and her custody battle with him and how he handled that one. Which probably should say that he was found, by the way, her family member. Yeah, he, yeah. Luckily, we didn't get all the way up there, because I'm sure she would have wrung his neck for that shit if we got up there. Oh, yeah. But anyway, before we get off too far here. Unfortunately, this also did nothing to help Mark and how he currently looked. He once told this ex-wife during their own custody battle that if she ever needed to get rid of a body, to just leave it in the mountains and the animals would take care of it. He also told her during the, like, height of that custody battle, that he would kill his kids before he ever let her have them. After all these revelations came out, the hope for Dylan's safe return pretty much dwindled to nothing. Right, because, like I said before, you don't look suspicious at all, and you are already making yourself even look worse. Right. A while after the search for Dylan had started, Mark, Elaine, and Corey, which is Dylan's older brother appeared on the Dr. Phil show to talk about Dylan's disappearance. It became not much more than a bitching match between Mark and Elaine. As all they seemed to want to do was accuse each other of things, Mark was offered a polygraph test, but he refused it. Imagine that. Yeah. Because if you got nothing to hide, just take the fucking test, bro. Well, you would think that, you know, you'd have nothing, you should have nothing to hide, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, even though that technically couldn't be used... For legal purposes, anyway. Right. But still, just, you know, it's... Fuck him. Whatever. After Mark's... After Mark's appearance on the Dr. Phil show, suspicions grew in his direction even more, and warrants were written to search his home and his property. So police went back and started investigation inside the house again. Um, This time they found traces of blood in the living room. The home was searched by cadaver dogs, and they detected that there had been a corpse in the living room, as well as the bed of his truck. They also indicated positive smell for um, a 
a corpse inside the washing machine, as well as on the clothes that Mark said he was wearing the night that Dylan disappeared. This would be the biggest break in the case so far, and everything would change from this point, along seven months since Dylan had gone missing. On June 27, 2013, just a short eight miles from Mark's house, there were partial remains found about 100 yards off of an ATV trail. They were the remains of a boy. The remains were gathered and pro processed quickly, and they were determined to be the remains of 13-year-old Dylan Redwine. In that exact instant, Dylan's missing persons case turned into a murder investigation. As if the close proximity of the ATV trail wasn't enough to link Mark, he also drove an ATV and a witness um, had seen him driving in that area of the mountains on in April 2013 before he left town and refused to come back after Dylan's remains were found in June. So he was gone for a while. Yeah. Finding Dylan's remains changed the route of the investigation entirely. Unfortunately, the remains didn't give investigators a cause of death. You see... Dylan's skull was missing, so there was no way to prove whether or not he had wandered off and been attacked by wildlife, or if this was indeed a homicide. Two years later, on November 1st, 2015, a couple of hikers found a skull two miles down the road from where Dylan's body had been found. The skull was tested, and it was also determined to be Dylan's. Dylan's skull showed a deep fracture as well as many knife wounds to the head, mostly around the left eye. Wildlife experts stated that there was no wildlife that would be able to make those types of wounds. Right. Nor would an animal pick up and carry a skull around that far from a body. Mm -hmm. They're just not going to pick it up and walk away with it for two fucking miles. The skull had been moved by someone purposely, most likely to help throw off the body being identified. With this, the investigators had what they needed to prove murder, and many people believed at this point that it was Mark. Probably a good guess. No, no, it couldn't be at all. <laughs> Innocent until proven guilty, even though all this evidence stacked against him. <laughs> On July 17th, 2017, Mark was arrested for first-degree murder and child abuse. The court battle was long, and it continued to be long because it wound up going into the COVID pandemic. So it was delayed and pushed back three times before actually happening in 2021. The prosecution argued that Dylan had confronted his dad about the nasty pictures he and his brother Corey had found, and that it sent Mark into a blind rage and he killed his son. Which, eh, sounds about right. They noted Mark's strange behavior and not helping search for his own missing son as a form of proof that he had already known that Dylan was dead. A lot of this case happened to be based on circumstantial evidence. Yeah, but you're also looking really fucking suspicious the suspicious, whole time. Suspicious, for sure. The defense argued things such as how the family dynamic had been strained between them and that's why Dylan had taken off, keeping up the ruse that Dylan ran away and was killed by some animal in the woods surrounding the mountain. The jury disagreed. They went to deliberate and came back with the unanimous decision that Mark was guilty for the murder of his son, Dylan. There was an impact statement from Elaine Hall, which is the mom, and she said, Dylan was 13 years old when you took his life. He had his whole life ahead of him. He would have done it and he would have done it well. You robbed him of his youth, robbed him of what he would have been. You never take accountability. When I think about what happened that night, Dylan looking up at his dad, you never have remorse. What were you thinking when you saw those big blue eyes? I don't think it even phased you. I think you need the maximum sentence. You have a lot of soul searching to do. Sandpaper <laughs> dildo is what he needs. <laughs> yeah. Dylan's brother, Corey, also wrote an impact statement, but he didn't read it to his dad. He read it to the judge. 
He said, the past nine years have been nothing short of misery. Over the years, I thought about what I could have done to protect Dylan from our dad. I can't bring Dylan back. I can't talk to Dylan, so I pray to him. I dream of him. Dylan is my hero and became more of a man in 13 years than Mark did in 60. Like, damn, that had to sting a little bit. Yeah. Judge Jeffrey Wilson came down on Mark hard. He said to Mark, as a father, it's your obligation to protect your son, keep him from harm. Instead of that, you inflicted enough injury on him to kill him in your living room. I have trouble remembering a convicted criminal defendant that has shown such an utter lack of remorse for their behavior. This leads me to believe that you need significant punishment, and you need to be removed from society for a long period of time. Mark stood in front of the court, stoic, showing absolutely no emotion whatsoever. Which I'm not surprised. Yep. While he waited for his sentence to be handed to him, and it definitely was handed to him. Mark Redwine was convicted of second-degree murder and child abuse and sentenced to 48 years in prison. Mark didn't speak at all during the sentencing, other than when the judge asked him if he had anything to say. His, his reply was, no, Your Honor, I do not. However, Mark did write a statement, and the judge read it for the court. And in that statement, he wrote, innocent of all charges, miscarriage of justice, fake conviction, sham trial. I take this circumstance very seriously and want to make clear I, too, have lost a child that I love more than life itself. I will fight for true justice, not for myself, but for Dylan. I have always shown remorse for all the things I'm guilty of. Stand against fake justice. Yeah, what the fuck ever, guy? <clears throat> Sound yep. like fucking Ronald Clark O'Brien there all the way up to the time they fucking put a needle in his fucking arm. I didn't fucking do it. Yeah. Yeah, but I will be adding all of the pictures, the selfies that he took mm -hmm. into the YouTube video. Yeah, because I'm sure that'll get flagged by fucking Zuckerberg. Right. They won't, they probably won't be on, I guarantee they will not be on Facebook. So if you actually want to see the pictures, I mean, watch the YouTube video that'll mm -hmm. be out um, if it's not already. But they're fucking gross. Like, if I found pictures of my dad like right. that, I probably, that would probably be the end of our relationship. Yeah. They're disgusting. I can only imagine. Like, Gigi Divine times a million disgusting Gigi divine's a saint compared to this motherfucker <laughs> other than the fact he committed murder outside of committing the murder the whole eating the shit thing for a role in a movie thing yeah, yeah. Gigi divine didn't commit murder i'm saying other than that well, oh. other than that I mean, he's <clears throat> yeah. a saint oh yeah for you know i'm just saying in terms you know, of eating shit yeah that's what i'm talking about she's a saint compared to this <clears throat> fucking weirdo yeah yeah, so they'll definitely be in the YouTube video. Make sure you check that out. But that that's it. Yeah. So I don't know what to say about this one. Well, he was 60 in 2021. So he's 60, 63 now mm -hmm. uh, with, what, 45 more years to go? Yeah. He's, he's not, not going to make out. it to 105, so. Nope. Oh, fucking... He'll rot in prison. Adios, motherfucker. That's oh, what buddy. I got to say. <laughs> Probably choking on his own shit at that point. Uh, Literally, probably. One anyway. can help. <clears throat> We're getting his packed in real hard. Maybe. Yeah, but what do you have? I have the Greensboro sit-in. It was one of a some one of the significant events of the civil rights movement. I'm still debating on doing more civil rights or other Black History Month related mm -hmm. topics this month so far because I kind of did struggle. Doing this, watching videos and whatnot, so... Yeah, you did. But it's one of those stories that needs to be told. Yeah. 
because I for myself in this, I went back to Bath when, you know, they were delighted to hear we're sharing their story. And I'm just trying to remember it's like, this is one of those moments to share stories again. Mm-hmm. So. Did you hear that? A spark. It's something not much to give thought about. But as we all know, sparks can be positive or bring disaster. A spark can start an engine. Spark can turn on a light. Spark can light a fire to either bring warmth or destroy. But for four students of North Carolina, a spark inside of them would soon change the world. In post-war America, where men, women, and children of all races and creeds were to be free, but not many were. African Americans are still finding themselves being treated differently because the Jim Crow laws are still in effect. And Jim Crow laws were put into effect in the 1870s during the Reconstruction period after the Civil War, where these laws mandated racial segregation in all public facilities in the former Confederate United States, a.k.a. all the southern states that mm-hmm. made up the Confederacy. For example, we all know and have been taught in schools that buses and pu- public transportation had to ride in the back of the bus, whereas whites got to sit in the front of the bus, along with separate bathrooms, theater entrances, store entrances, and so on. These laws would be named after a menstrual character named Jim Crow, where white actors in blackface would put would depict African Americans in a negative light. These laws would actually stay in place until the 1960s. Even when fighting through both world wars, the army, navy, and the marines stay segre- did stay segregated with the beliefs at the time that African Americans were not capable in combat as whites were, but as poss- a possible future subject known as the Red Tails proved this to be completely false. President Harry S. Truman integrated the military in 1948, but in the civilian world, it was still everyday life of being living in segregation still. Even with the small examples of separate but equal, but for you and I, lack of a better term for experiencing it ourselves when we were stepping in the Liberty and Justice for All exhibit at the Henry Ford Museum and yeah. their, their yeah. recreation of a bus stop where <clears throat> the whites on the side was recreated with nice benches with backs to rest against the floor, the walls the clean, were clean. There was American flag speakers that worked. And whereas the colored only side as they had most of the signs labeled in these time periods was painted to look like a dingy room with just a really crappy lack of a term bench for the mm-hmm. most part to give you know an explanation of it plus water fountains of the same whites only may well maintain the colored only one was all beat up the porcelain was chipped on it even with rosa parks ride in 1954 to set everything in motion still more was needed to be done even more so after the murder of emmett till four students from greensboro south carolina would do such things david richmond franklin mccain Zell a blair Jr. and Joseph McNeil would meet for the first time in the fall of 1959 as incoming freshmen at Agricultural and Technical State University in Greensboro, which was a prominent university for colored people in this time. Okay. So if you wanted to go to college, this was a school to go to. They would spend their time often together discussing multiple topics from current events, politics, and religion, as most college students do. And of course, their own civil rights would also always be a discussed topic as they didn't see themselves any different from any white man or woman that they were taught to not to address in public unless they were spoken to. With some of the videos I did watch about all this time period and learning about the Jim Crow laws, Mm -hmm. many of them, the 
people of color growing up in this time, they were taught if you were on the sidewalk with a white man passing the opposite direction, you do not look at him. You keep your eyes to the ground. And if a white woman is walking on the same side of the sidewalk with him, you walk out in the fucking street. Because if you didn't do these things, it was a sign of disrespect and you could be beaten or worst lynched or whatever. And just reading and seeing all this stuff has just already got me fucking fired up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm sure you can see it on my face already. And as much as they did talk about this, they knew what they had to do. They knew they wanted to do something, but they just weren't sure what to do, something to stand up for their rights. Right. It would become clear to them what they needed to do after Joseph was refused service at a lunch counter trying to buy a hot dog at a Greyhound bus station after making his return trip back to school after the Christmas break was over. He was told he had to go to the counter, being the colored counter on the backside, but he said, why? Because I'm already here, and I'm not going to do it, and he was still refused service and didn't end up eating after all because of this. So with this event, they knew what they had to do. Mm-hmm. So after this, the other three heard what happened to Joseph, this is, you know, like I said, this is what they need. They know what they needed to do. So they needed to find a lunch counter in Greensboro and take a seat wanting to be served, but not move from their seats until they were served. Being in the South and with the tension as high as it was, they would have to pro- approach this plan very carefully. And they were also inspired by Dr. Martin Luther King and Mahatma Gandhi and their nonviolent tactics and signs of protest. So the way they, their plan was is to sit there Ask to be served and then refuse. Stay there, and if anybody messed with them, do not respond in any way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. Like, don't even acknowledge them. Don't flinch. Don't move. No, nothing. Just sit there, like as if they're the furniture itself. But Frank McCain would call that this almost didn't happen as Ezell Kane Jr. tried to get out of it by using the excuse of needing to go to the bathroom, but the other three forced him to stay until they all agreed and had their plans made. So on the afternoon of February 1st, 1960, the four boys soon to become men would make their way to Woolworth's Five and Dime. Would soon make their way to Woolworth's Five and Dime on South Elm Street in Greensboro, which made this the perfect location as many sources said that this Woolworth's was the only one with a segregated lunch counter, but the rest of the store was not. So they could go in, buy whatever they wanted through the main doors, but if they wanted to go to a lunch counter, they had to go a different section of it, which wow. probably was... Broken down stools, broke, you know. Oh, I'm sure. All that stuff. Well, one of the biggest part of their plans before taking their seat was is that they would have to make small purchases to show they had receipts that they were actually paying customers over the Woolworth store and they were not there just to cause trouble. So they thought this out that they don't want that. No, so they had these receipts so they couldn't be touched or mm-hmm. really, for the most part. So they thought it out very well before they put this into, you know, into action. Mm-hmm. All four of them would sit in the whites-only section and order coffee and a donut with cream on the side, knowing that they would be refused service. Even telling the waitress what they wanted, she would tell them, you know, we don't serve colored people here, Frank McCain would explain, and he would then, they were speaking for the group, oh, we beg to disagree with you. You already have served us and have our receipts to prove it. This waitress was not happy with their response. She would then call over that she would then Remind them that she can't serve them here, as in this section of the counter, but then would call over co-worker Geneva Tisdale, a black waitress, working for Woolworths, to try and talk some sense into them. Even with telling them that they aren't supposed to be here and suggesting that they leave before something bad happens, which we know what that means, Mm because Frank McCain recalled that he was terrified to do this, that he might leave out of that store in a pine box before the date was over. 
That's how high the racial tensions were in these time periods in the southern United States. I mean, we all heard the story of Emmett Till. Mm-hmm. And this happened months, just months before. And she would also state that they are just hurting race relations with their actions. As yeah, of course. they're hurting it. And right. With what she, I know I understand what you're saying, but with what she's saying, it's like, you guys are only going to make the situation worse by doing I this. I know. But of course, the four of them didn't move. They stayed in their seats. A lot of these videos, Frank McCain spoke a lot more so on what happened. So a lot of his own words I had to use compared to the rest of them. He would remember how it felt when he did first take a seat. And he would go on to say in, one, in the documentary I did watch for all this. 15 seconds after sitting at that counter, I felt so clean and invincible. And would it feel cheated if I died in that moment? I had reached my mountaintop and had seen the other side and felt whole and redeemed for my actions. The store's manager, Curly Harris, would also try to convince the four of them to leave just to try and keep them out of trouble. But it, then again, they said nothing. They didn't move and then called over a supervisor and told, the, told Curly Harris, they'll soon give up, leave and be forgotten. Just blew it off. It's yeah. like, whatever. Just let them have their fit, I guess you could say. And be done with it. Just let them do whatever. But they didn't move. They stayed put right where they were. I'm exactly sure what time the war's closed, but while they're still sitting there, one of the Frank, once again, of course, in the interviews, he would clearly remember a elderly white woman getting up out of her stool and making direction towards them. I never could see a layout of what this lunch counter area looked like. It mm -hmm. was a lunch counter like at the place downtown mm -hmm. here. And then regular seating inside like it is there. So I'm going to guess where they're sitting is close to where people come in and out. Okay. But she gets up off of her stool, approaches them. Frank, the other three notice her coming this way. Frank's thinking, you know, speaking to God in his head. Just let her call us some nasty names and spit on us and go on about her business. But that's not what she does. She what doesn't she do did. any of that. She leans in, leans in and tells them. She was proud of them and wishes they would have done this 10 years sooner. Little old white lady in the South saying those to him. Uh -uh. Soon after, people started forming crowds to see what was going on, and the police were called. And the first responding officer tried to intimidate them to get them to leave by thumping his billy club in his hand. So he was just kind of like, thump, uh -huh. you know, like you see in the movies, yep. basically. So he's doing that pacing back and forth behind him, just thumping that club in his hand, trying to get inside their head psychologically to get them to get up and leave like something's about to happen. But, again, they stood their ground. Didn't even acknowledge his presence was there. They were aware he was there, mm -hmm. but didn't acknowledge he was there. But he was even powerless due to them having the receipts that they had from making their purchases. Some of the things they bought were, though, was like toothpaste, a toothbrush, combs, frivolous little everyday item stuff. Just to have, a receipt, a, purchase. To have a receipt to show that they were actually customers of the store. Mm -hmm. So when the Curly Harris asked him if he was going to do anything, the officer just throws up his hands like, can't do anything. They're customers and they're not causing a problem. So, so he, this officer would end up, which I couldn't find a name for. Mm -hmm. He ends up just leaning against the wall with his arms crossed, just watching to see what's going on. And he's probably thinking probably should just stick around in case this actually does get worse since yeah. I'm already here. Soon after, you know, crowds are starting to form because see what's going on. There's four African-American men sitting in the whites only section. So they know something's going to happen. So, Everyone's being nosy as fuck, like today on Facebook. Mm -hmm. 
And to even avoid any possible violence that could happen from all this, the store manager ends up closing the lunch counter for the day. But photographer Jack Mobes would actually snap the picture that's most recognized of these four gentlemen after they left the Woolworth store that day, and he asked them, well, what are you guys going to do now? We're going to come back tomorrow. Jack Mobes found out the, about this after getting a tip off of what was going down in Woolworth, so he ran down there and just in time to get this picture that is the picture that's always associated with this story. Yeah. We're going to spread about what they had done in making plans to return the next day, and they would ask all 26 campus leaders to join them to fill their seats, but none of the 26 showed up. And just like sparks starting a fire... In the air, their actions spread fast between colleges and churches, and they are joined by hundreds by the end of the third day of their sit-ins. Day four, as more and more people are showing up to, to show their support, the tension is also growing. Anti-desegregation protesters would start to ramp up their abuse by pouring coffee on their heads, smearing condiments on their clothing, and shoving lit cigarettes into their pockets. Even with all this, they still stayed motionless. They stayed silent and sat there as if they were the stools themselves. Even with anti-protesters filling the seats before supporters could show up at these lunch counters, white students of the Greensboro Women's College, Ann Deersley, Marilyn Lott, and Janine Seaman break the rules on their college by leaving the grounds without permission to show their support as they did all three of them found it ridiculous about the rules for anyone just wanting a cup of coffee. Mm -hmm. they, would walk, they would walk the mile and a half from their campus to the Woolworths, not knowing what they were going to be walking into. Ann Deersley did describe the air being thick and the front of the store being filled with angry white men. When they reached the counter, three white men got up, giving their seats, thinking they were there to help come support them and their anti-desegregation counter-protest that was going on. But they sure made it clear they were there to support the Greensboro Four when Ann Deersley tells them, tells a waitress that, oh no, we think someone was here before us that needed to be served when she asked them what they wanted. Good on them. And would then go on to sketch scenes of what was going on inside the Woolworth store while sitting there, even though being white, they were still also being verbally abused for showing their support to the Greensboro Four. But they would end up starting to worry about how they were going to make it back to their own campus when the store closed unharmed. So fortunately for them, as Anne described it as, they were escorted out of the store in a circle of huge black men mm -hmm. dressed in their Sunday best, linked arm in arm around the three of them, reciting the Lord's Prayer as they made their way from the front, from the back of the store where the lunch counter is, to the front to a waiting taxi. By the end of this week, it was clear that the Greensboro Four and other protesters weren't going anywhere, as their numbers grew by the day, bringing Greensboro to a halt for the most part. Damn. Pol well, this section of Greensboro, I really should say. Okay. Politicians and business owners are starting to lose money as their stores are now being occupied by at least 300 protesters in the support of the Greensboro Four. Along with the growing racial tensions in the area, people are now avoiding the areas by assumption. Because, fuck around, fuck that, I don't think so. Right. February 6th, these protests would come to pause for two weeks and try to negotiate a solution after a bomb threat was called in, in, in at the Woolworths building. And the building was cleared by police, even though one witness did notice that Curly Harris, the store manager, who originally tried to get them to leave, never left the store during the evacuations. They could never confirm that it was, but mm -hmm. it was an interesting point that did come up a couple times. Okay. Because this bottle building's going to blow up, I'm going to get the fuck out. <laughs> right? But anyway, with the Greenboro Court now the tip of the spear of the civil rights movement, like their parents before them, even with more sit-ins are now being carried out nationwide. Sit-ins would be carried out in 54 cities in eight different states, 
eight weeks later after the first four put a down payment on their manhood standing up for what they believed in. Workshops and meetings are being held to train and sit-in participants on what to expect and how to respond to any verbal altercations, mm -hmm. physical violence, so on and so forth. Some of these videos that I did watch of small clips of these workshops that were going on, it showed... And I'm sure it's for, like, an old saying from my time of the fire service train as you play. It showed um, one clip. It showed a white man pulling a black gentleman out of a chair. And he's like, I'm going to say play beating on him to, you know, give them a sense of what to do, what to expect. Yeah. You know, he's not doing it with an actual intent to harm. He's doing it to the intent and good of showing you what you need to do. Right. So there was clips of that, and there was another one where another one called a very specific word that I will not ever fucking say in my life, yeah. um, <clears throat> slapping him, and then he just dropped it. So they show him that, you know, you get hit, just drop the ground, don't fight back. Yeah. So. And it also, then they also showed him how to protect vital areas, the back of their head, ball up as much as you can to protect your vital organs, so on and so forth. Even though Greensboro did stay mostly nonviolent during their sit-ins, but in other cities, the police would be less tolerant of these sit-ins being held, and they would remove students with excessive force and arrest them for trespassing. Not only did, did the police did this, but of course the Ku Klux Clowns probably did this shit too. Probably. And there wouldn't be fucking ghost outfits. <laughs> and I did find an audio simulation from the National Center of Civil Rights and Human Rights in Atlanta, Georgia, that they have set up there at a lunch counter. You can sit with headphones similar to ours. And Levi from the Remedial Scholar, he went on a trip. He talked about this one. And what he told me was it when you do the actual simulation, it feels like your chair is being kicked. Really? Yeah. Wow. Did like they made it that way? Yeah. He said if he's not sure if it was because of in chair subwoofers or if there's some kind of system to make it. But he said when you're sitting there... Going through this minute and a half simulation, it feels like your chair is being kicked. Wow. So. And so I'm going to post the link within Facebook. Um, obviously, it's going to be the best done with headphones. I'm going to be playing it in this episode in here so you guys can hear it too. If you want to try and participate along with it after hearing this story. And so Sarah and I were actually going to do it, but the instructions do say on the website to... When you are doing this, to put your hands flat on, uh, out in front of you and close your eyes and just listen. If you feel like you do not want to participate in the audio simulation, I'm going to suggest skipping ahead. It can be emotionally stressful. It was on me and Sarah when we did listen to this, so this is your warning. How you doing? This is your first time, right? So far, so good. Just nice and calm. You'll be all right. Just stay calm. Get up. Get up. Get up. Get up. If you don't get up, boy, I'm going to kill you. Right in front of everybody. I'm going to take this fork. I'm going to jam it right into your neck. <laughs> Oh, oh, he's still ugly, though. Hey, hey ain't he ugly? Think he's something? He ain't nothing! Get up now, man. 
You hear that? That's gonna be you, boy. That's gonna be you, boy. If you don't leave now! What you've just experienced was created to honor the brave men and women who participated in the American Civil Rights sit-in movement. Alright, so, Sarah, like I said, that was only like a minute and a half piece of honor. How long did it, did it feel like to you? Longer than that? Right. That's, that's fucked. Yeah. And that was like a PG version of what actually was happening. Oh, I can imagine. Right. <clears throat> I'm sure there was a lot of language that wasn't used in there. Oh, I'm sure. <sighs> And I mean, it, good good on them for getting through all that. Yeah. I mean, we're kind of seeing things similar to this with the LGBTQ community, but mm. not to the extent of what they experienced during the civil rights, because even now they're still having their fight now with things like that. It's still not nearly as bad what they had to deal with. No. But Still bad. Yeah. Different bad. Now, even for me listening to that now, even though I've already listened to it a couple times now, trying to figure out how to get this into our episode, uh-huh. there was even one part where the thumps did come in. It still caught me off guard because I listened to this like two or three times trying to get it started to get it to record and then yeah. be able to play into it. So make sure I had it set and ready to record into this. I could feel my eyes flinch every time there was like a hard bang. Yeah. No thanks. Any other final thoughts about all that? Oh, there's a lot of final thoughts, but not... No. <laughs> Nothing you want to put in an episode? Nope. Okay. The thing there is at one point, and I said, I like, I think I had said to somebody when talking to about this, I was like, I hope all these people, have their great-grandkids are all mixed now. But anyway. <laughs> that's the nicest way I could put it. Yeah. <clears throat> but anyhow. <laughs> the total estimated number of people who took who participated in these nationwide sit-ins were uh, in the upwards to 70,000 after watching scenes of violence being carried out on the news that, lack of a better term, we just kind of experienced in, mm-hmm. with what we heard just now. But this July of the same year of 1960, Woolworth has lost approximately $200,000 in profits due to these sit-ins and declared on July 25th that all their lunch counters, no matter its location, would be desegregated. Good. And, of course, their first... And the first people of color to sit at the Greensboro, North Carolina location would be their own employees. And days later, Joe McCain, one of the members of the Greensboro Four, would stop in for an apple pie and coffee that he had fought for the right to to have wherever he wanted. But he did remember the pie not being that good, and the coffee was best at Meteor and wouldn't come back. However, the Greensboro Four would still come back to meet to celebrate their success for standing up what they believed in. And their final meeting together as the Greensboro Four would happen in 1990 when David Richmond would pass away from cancer at the age of 42. Aww. The other three are still alive today. Are they? Yep, they are They are in their 80s now and they are still alive. Even they, after they won their fight in Greensboro, it wouldn't be, it wouldn't until four more long years of protests and brutal violence before the Civil, the Civil Rights Act would be signed on July 2nd, 1964, by President Johnson, make, making it illegal for businesses to discriminate against people of, based on race, color, religion, sex, or national origins. 
In the final days of the Woolworths, of Woolworths before going out of business, African-American leaders of Greensboro, North Carolina, and the curators of the Smithsonian, Washington, D.C., knew something had to be done to preserve this building due to its historical significance. An eight-foot section of the original counter is now on display in the National Museum of American History in Washington, D.C., where you can see a theater presentation about the sit-ins performed, and, part- and you can participate in any sit-in right in front of it. There's a 20-minute, 22-minute video of it on YouTube. Not like with the audio. Mm-hmm. Their presentation is more <clears throat> of kind of one of these training ones. Okay. Yeah. That would be interesting to yeah. to see in person. Xavier Carnegie, who performs this, he would remember during an, during one of the interviews about his participation on this theater presentation was that a six-year-old boy asked him if this was real. And he said it was hard to describe how it made him feel because that's the moment he knew this is what they were fighting for when the children would wonder if these things really took place. Aww. And on February 1st, 2010, the Woolworths on South Elms in Greensboro, the surviving members of the original sit-in would return for the grand opening of the International Civil Rights Center and Museum that is now housed inside this Woolworths, where this Woolworths was. Joseph McNeil would go on and join the Air Force and retire in 2000 at the rank of Major General. David Richmond dropped out of A&T and then worked as a counseling coordinator as part of the CETA program in Greensboro. And I couldn't find out exactly what CETA was mm-hmm. the shorthand for, short for. Zell Blair Jr. would go on to teach and be a counselor for the development, Developmentally Mental Challenge and change his name to Jabril Kazan after joining Islam. After joining Islam and is now an oral historian, Frank McCain would be a chemical engineer after graduating. He would become a chemical engineer after graduation, and he would do this for 35 years before retiring. Hmm. And clearly, the four of them, and then the three remaining now, obviously they're labeled civil rights activists for for whatever. I mean, that's what they did. This is, and they, you know, they are oral historians for the most part. As well, too, telling their stories wherever. But that's the Greensboro Four, and Damn. they're sitting. That was rough. Yeah, and it was rough for me because other images <coughs> I had seen, I had seen from other things out of curiosity to see what it was. Probably, I for me personally, one of the pictures I saw, I'd say it's probably one of the worst pictures of American history I've ever seen in my fucking life. Are you gonna post this picture? This picture, I will not. I'm not even gonna show you this picture. Okay. Because I don't even want you to fucking say it. Okay. It's that bad for me to say something like that. It's from the 1919 race riots in one of the cities. I think it was Omaha, Nebraska, Mm -hmm. and it was fucking terrible. But it's, you know, after seeing these pictures and reading about this, it's even the world we've grown up in now. It's like, I can't still believe we're still treating people the same fucking way. Sorry, it wasn't bright and shiny again. Two weeks in a row, it came in more like not doom and gloom. Mm-hmm. But these are important stories that need to be told. Yep. So, any other final thoughts there? No. You're super quiet again. Yeah, no. Wow, two weeks in a row, I gotta have nothing to say back. Got nothing. Yeah. I mean, we've all heard the story of the Rosa Parks and other ones, but I had never heard of this story in particular. Me neither. Because it 
you know, with what most things they teach, probably. No, they're not going to teach this at, at school. Probably not in the depth that I would, but the more <clears throat> watered down version of it, but not with the details of the, you know, stuffing cigarettes in pockets, which is in these times are extremely dangerous. I mean, obviously still is now, yeah. even though as far as say cigarettes these days. But this is back when we're still using like cotton wool for everyday clothing and other mm -hmm. household materials and whatnot. So, and of course, these cigarettes, they don't have that fire safe paper like they do now. So. Yeah. Bad combination. Yep. America's fucked up. Yep. It's like a meme I had saw a couple of days before we recorded this. It was, a, it was a picture of Superman and Homelander from the boys next mm -hmm. to each other with Superman said the way American history is taught. And then the way American history really is with next to Homelander. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So last week and this week is definitely Homelander episodes. Yep. Maybe I should probably find something a little bit more positive for next week at this point. You do what your heart says to do. I know. I'm not going to tell you what to do. I know. <clears throat> But I'm thinking it's time we close the, close the important up for the day, Sarah. What do you think? I agree. Also, for those of you that listen to us, I know that sometimes we don't post an episode, but you should join our Facebook group because we always post in there to keep everybody up to date yep. and let them know if we're not doing one and why we're not doing one. Um. So, yeah. No, they're just drinking and we're going to finish this anyway. Yep. Also, don't forget... We also have been doing Wednesday night streams on Twitch, playing ghost hunting and investigation games and such. Yes. And probably on Thursday I tried doing a stream by myself. It seemed kind yeah. of fun that people still showed up for that. So probably Wednesday going to be with Sarah and Lindsay and whatnot. And yeah. Thursdays is going to be me. Just David. So in case you can't make the Wednesday one. Yeah. So you ready to get out of here? I am. So until next time. Remember to creep it real. All right. Bye. Bye. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. Oh, Lordy. I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days. Hallelujah. I'm going to sit at the welcome table. I'm going to sit at the welcome table one of these days, one of these days. I'm going to be a registered voter, oh Lord. I'm going to be a registered voter one of these days, hallelujah. I'm going to be a registered voter. I'm going to be a registered voter one of these days.